It's after Advent, how will we live? So I want us today to consider that question. How shall we live? You know, over these last few weeks, we've talked about rediscovering our joy. We talked about hope. And last week, we talked about faith. Today, if we're willing to answer that question, how shall we live biblically, it will be with one simple word. We want to live in love. In love with God, in love with one another, in love with the pursuit of sanctification, becoming more and more and more like Jesus in these final days of 2020, but also with the expectation of a new year. And at every new year, there's also the expectation of change. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better dad. I'm going to be a better businessman. What, whatever it may be. So I want you to consider throughout this whole sermon today, how shall we live? One of the things that I've recognized, especially the last nine months or so, as we have all walked through this pandemic together, in 2020, politics failed us. Religion failed us. Science failed us. Selfishness failed us. Arrogance failed us. Power failed us. However, the love of Jesus never fails us. So when you and I begin to look around and we see all kinds of people that have disappointed us and let us down, please be reminded that Jesus will never let you down. Now, that doesn't mean you're always going to get what you want when you want it. No, because Jesus loves us so much, he gives us even better than whatever we've asked for, and he does it on his timing when he'll get the most glory. I think that's a, a lesson that I'm learning in these final days of 2020. I really and truly, looking to a new year, I want to be more and more and more like Jesus. But what I'm also learning is that does not happen naturally. It has to happen supernaturally. It has to happen by the power of Almighty God. If I'm going to love Joe and Zeke and Danny and my brothers and sisters in Christ around me the way that I'm supposed to, I'm going to have to learn how to walk in the Spirit. Now here's something that we need to consider. Walking in the Spirit is not something that is unattainable for the common believer. See, when I got saved as an eight-year-old boy, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. When you got saved, you were filled with the Holy Spirit. But as life sometimes grinds us down, we need a recharge. We need to get back into the Word. We need to fast. We need to pray. We need to seek the Lord's will. And supernaturally, we are once again infused with joy and hope and faith and then what we're going to talk about today, that beautiful word called love. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is a very familiar passage. And most weddings that I have officiated over the last 32 plus years, 
I always use this passage. In fact, I have learned that it's very rarely used on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, or a Wednesday. Today, friend, as we talk about love, the love that never fails, let's see what the Apostle Paul had to say about this when he was writing to the church at Corinth. The Bible says that if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You know what that means? It means you make a lot of noise, there's just no oomph to it. See, you got to be willing to have love. You can be this very gifted individual and know different languages. Uh, you can even have an, an, an angelic language. But if you don't have love, you're just making a whole lot of noise. And if I have the gift of prophecy, and I can foretell the future, and I can fathom all the mysterion or the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I had faith that I could move mountains, but do not have love... I am nothing. You know, that's something to consider as we launch headlong into a new year. When I, when I look into God's Word and, and I say, Lord, I'm strong, and, and Lord, you've made me this way, and, and I begin to think about all the gifts that I've been given, but I don't have love, the Bible says that I am nothing. Look at verse 3. If I give all that I possess to, to the poor and I give uh, over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. There's a lot of people that God has blessed financially, that God has blessed with great power and authority, and they may be the, the champion of philanthropy. But it says that if you give to the poor and you even give your own body over to hardship, and then you, you, you boast. But if you don't have love, you're not going to gain anything by that. So again, Paul is reiterating something that all of us know. we got to have love, friends. Why? Love is patient, and love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Now let me tell you what I did. I went back and looked at every time Paul used love in 1 Corinthians 13, and it was agape love. It was not the phileo love, which was about maybe friends caring about one another. It was not eros love, which is sexual love between a husband and a wife in marriage. No, this is talking about the God kind of love that's patient and kind and doesn't envy and doesn't boast, and it is never proud. And if you're living a life that is consumed with love, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Do you have a scoreboard in your marriage? What are you talking about, Joel? Well, we, we keep scores sometimes that I've done three good things for him, but he's only got, done two good things for me, so I'm keeping a record of that wrong, and I'm going to hold it against you down the road. Don't live your life that way. Let's make sure that we have this God kind of love that does not keep a record of wrongs. Look at verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. 
Now, before I give you this last portion of verse 8, I pray that some of these characteristics have jumped off the screen into your heart. Because some of us right now have a very misguided and wrong concept of love during the Advent season. Because we think love is about what I can get from another person or what I can even get from God. That's not what this love is talking about. This is a love that is always thinking of others and serving others and ministering to others. Why? Look at verse 8. Love never fails. It it doesn't. There have been moments in 28 years of marriage when Joe and I may have had a passionate disagreement about something and when we decided to set aside my rights and what I wanted and we loved one another, it never failed. Yes, we still may need to have a conversation about the disagreement, but we can do it as two individuals that love one another. Why? Love never fails. And in this season of Advent, just a couple of days after Christmas, and you know how you felt a few days ago, the love as you gave the gifts, as you received the gifts. If you were able to travel and be with family and those that you love and care about, and there's just love filling that house. And now, two days later, what do you do after Advent? I think that is a question that all of us should consider. And it again comes back to what we spoke about a few moments ago. How shall we live? I'm going to give you some things to consider today. Some things that, again, I've had to flesh out as I was studying for this sermon and ask myself the question. In fact, in just a few minutes... Brother Keenan's going to come and share the Lord's table with you, but he's also going to share a lesson about examining ourselves. And as I walk through these today, in response to the question, how shall we live? Oh, I pray that you'll look in the mirror and not worry about your spouse or your kids or your significant other or someone else or your group of friends, but you, yes, you, will look in that spiritual mirror and say, am I doing these things? So, how shall we live? Look at number one with me. Let us express genuine love toward others. Genuine love toward others. But Joel, I don't like him. In fact, I'm at that place in my life right now, I despise them and I might even hate them. Well, see, that's a problem if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, the world's going to do what the world does. But for those of us who are in Jesus Christ, notice what Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and beginning in verse 9. The Bible says, let love be genuine. Abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So you can hate something without hating the someone. Do you understand that? You can hate what they do or what they stand for or what they represent, but you and I are called to love people with a genuine love and hold fast to what is good while we are hating what is evil. And then Paul goes on to say, hey, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Again, 
because of graduate work and seminary work, there's some things that maybe those of us who are in the pastorate are privileged to that maybe you've not yet studied. But the use of this word agape, love, it was very rare in pagan Greek literature because of a concept that it represented. Unselfish, self-giving, willful devotion. Listen, it was so uncommon in the Greek culture that it was ridiculed and despised as a sign of weakness. Maybe that's where some of us are living today. When you see a, a man of God or a woman of God who expresses themselves with love, you may consider them weak. But listen, friend, I would encourage you to reconsider because don't think that their meekness is weakness. They may be a very strong woman of God. They could be a very strong man of God, but yet they still show brotherly love to other people. Agape love centers on the needs and the welfare of the one that's loved and will pay whatever personal price is necessary to meet those needs. I'm still learning after 28 years of marriage how to love Joe. We have discovered the five love languages uh, years ago, and we've taught them. I share them in premarital counseling. But some of the misconceptions and some of the mistakes that we make in our marriage relationships is that I try to love Joe in what my love language is and vice versa. But see, the agape kind of love says, hey, Joe, what makes you feel loved? What makes you feel nurtured? And then she communicates that to me. And then for the rest of my marriage, I make sure I try to love her there. That's what agape love is all about. That's what, when it says, outdo one another in showing honor. I honor my spouse. I honor my bride when I love her that particular way. So yes, we pose that question again. How shall we live we need to learn how to hate evil. We need to learn how to hate evil. The psalmist said in Psalm 97.10, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. There is so much evil to hate today. I could begin to list so many of the sins that are before us. And yet, culturally today, even uh, societal norms have changed the names to protect the guilty. My friend and one of my brothers in Christ who pastors out west, Dr. Michael Hearn, recently uh, preaching from his church at Summit View, he talked about how today we don't call sin by its name, we say they are struggling with, and then they call out what it is. And see, as long as you never call it sin, you'll never deal with it. If you only call it a struggle or a weakness, you'll continue to do the same things expecting a different result. But when you and I acknowledge that we are to hate evil, we are to hate sin, there's going to be the Holy Spirit inside of us that compels us to overcome it to repent of it and to put it in our rearview mirror. 
So I I encourage you today, call out your sin in that spiritual mirror. And and then when you're asking yourself as you approach a new year, how shall I live? I'm going to be willing to do this God's way. I'm going to learn how to hate evil. There's a third consideration today, how shall we live? Hold on tight to good thoughts, good actions, and good words. Now, that sounds like a pie-in-the-sky, sweet, by-and-by theology, but it's actually grounded and rooted in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 because I've learned that whatever I'm thinking about usually eventually comes out of my mouth. What I'm thinking about usually manifests itself in behavior. So the Bible says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any excellence, is there anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So when I ask you as your pastor to consider holding on tight to the good thoughts, that will turn into actions, that will turn into the words. It's grounded in God's Word. Because I've done enough pastoral care, some would call it counseling over the years, that usually what a man or a woman thinks on, it will eventually come out in their behavior. So if I'm thinking about the Word of God, if I'm thinking about loving my family, if I'm thinking about taking care of myself, if I'm thinking on these things, hopefully... My thinking will lead to my actions. It's the same way for you that after Advent, you start putting feet to your prayers. You start doing what you've been thinking about and what you've been talking about. Now, most of us, though, have a tendency to be lazy and and we're waiting on something to happen, uh, maybe in the sky or, 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 or maybe in some kind of sign to provoke us to finally change. So before I give you point number four, I once again ask the question, how shall we live? Well, never be lazy in zeal or passion as you live for Jesus. I am passionate about football. I am passionate about working out. I'm passionate about running. I am passionate about a lot of things. I never should be more passionate about that stuff than I am passionate about Jesus. But I'm afraid a lot of us have decided to replace my passion for Jesus with passion for another human being. Now listen, I'm passionate about Joe. I've been in love with her for a very, very, very long time. I'm passionate about her uh, in in our intimacy. I'm I'm passionate about her in our communication. I'm passionate about her in trying to help her grow in Jesus Christ. You and I cannot afford to be lazy in our zeal and passion as we live for the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, Pastor, that's a a great statement. It's a good point for your sermon, but where do you find that in the Word of God? I'm so glad that you asked. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. The word sloth or slothful means lazy. Don't be lazy in your zeal. You and I are to be fervent or passionate in spirit as we serve Jesus. Now listen, not everybody is a pulpit preacher. Not not everybody's a staff member. Not everyone is a deacon. Not, Not everyone is maybe one of these callings within the context of the local church. 
But whatever it is that the Holy Spirit's called you to do, don't be slothful doing it. Be passionate in what you do for Jesus. I would even go a step further and say be passionate about your spouse. Be passionate about raising your kids. Because there's one thing that this world lacks today, and that's passion for the right things. All so many of us, we see the society and we see culture. And listen, they're passionate about the wrong things. Why can't we be passionate about the right things? Why can't we be passionate in our zeal for the things of God? Now, I pose that as a question, but I really think it needs an exclamation point. Because you and I can do it if we'll just do it. And maybe 2021, after Advent, and we're thinking about loving one another the way that we're supposed to, that you're going to rediscover that passion again, that zeal again, for the things that really and truly matter. Oh yes, how shall we live? Never steal someone's hope. I've been guilty. Guilty is charged. I have been in conversations and in situations where there was a friend, uh, there was a fellow church member, uh, there was a fellow pastor, and, and maybe they had stumbled and they had fallen, and, and they're grasping onto the hope. And instead of bringing love and mercy and concern, I bring down the hammer. If that's your personality, let me challenge you today. Because I grant you there's going to be people in the next few days that's going to have some kind of New Year's resolution. And they're going to say, the things that I've done in 2020, I'm not going to do those things in 2021. And we're going to roll our eyes at them and we're going to make snide comments. Never steal someone's hope. If someone's thinking about change and maybe the way they've behaved and the things that they've done, don't, don't steal their hope. Who are you and I to think that we could do such a thing? Now, I don't think we necessarily do it intentionally to hurt someone. But how many of us have been guilty of stealing someone's hope? You know, Romans 12, where we started a few moments ago, look at verse 12. It says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So if you've got a member of your family, you've you got, you got one of your friends, you've you got somebody in your life, who has some hope for a better 2021 than it was in 2020, don't you dare stand in the way of their hope, and don't you dare steal their hope. You be constant in prayer for them. Rejoice that they're trying to make some changes. Maybe there's some things they need to quit. And yes, maybe they've been trying to quit for the last 10 years. But praise God, maybe year 11, they finally succeed. Let us not be the ones that always throw a wrench into someone's hope. Let us make sure that we're always encouraging one another. You know, you and I are called to be a Barnabas, the son of encouragement. We're to be an encourager to one another. Let us be a blessing to one another. Paul also says in Romans chapter 8, he says, For in this hope we were saved. Now, this is a whole different kind of hope. This is the hope that when we share the gospel of someone, that through that hope they can be saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And maybe some of us just grow impatient with our loved one, with our friend, 
uh, with that fellow church member. And yes, they've been trying and failing for years. But maybe in 2021, they're going to try and succeed because you helped them. Don't ever be guilty of stealing someone's hope. Which leads us to point number six. Learn to wait on God's plan during the trials of faith. I have spoken to this so many times this past year. I have I've preached about it. I've lived it. I've read books about it. Just learning how to wait on God. And some of you right now, you're waiting for something. Some of you are waiting for someone. You and I, learning how to live godly, have to learn how to wait on God's plan. You remember that familiar passage in Isaiah 40? And I think I've told you this before, but when I got called to preach 32 plus years ago, this was the first text that I ever preached from Isaiah 40. Verse 31 was part of that. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. I know that none of us like to wait. I know that most of us are very impatient human beings. But would you be willing as you cast a vision for a new year that you would be willing to wait on God's timing? You would even consider waiting on God's plan. Because maybe 2020 and 2019 and 2018 and I could keep going backward. But listen, we don't live there anymore. Quit looking in the rearview mirror. Maybe we're going to finally learn, I need to learn how to wait with patience on God's plan. I've ran out in front of him so many times and stumbled and fallen and tripped. Maybe now I finally learned my lesson. Lessons are difficult. I know that for me as a pastor... I've tried things over the last three decades, and some of them worked, and some of them didn't work. Uh, Most of my plans and dreams and visions were grounded in God's Word, but there were times that I sort of got outside the boundaries and said, hey, we're going to try this. Sometimes it was successful, and sometimes it wasn't. But here's my point. I think all of us looking to a new year, because right now the vaccine is here, All of us are thinking that, hey, things are going to be normal by January 1. They aren't. Things are going to be normal by February the 1st. They aren't. I don't know when they are. But you and I have to learn how to wait on the Lord. There's some lessons that we're all learning through this process of the pandemic. I believe that as we recognize God's hand, he will renew our strength. And trusting and believing that God does have a plan for the 300,000 plus deaths, for all the things that have happened over the last nine and a half months or so, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Well, pastor, how do I get to that place? Well, how shall we live? Pray at the beginning, pray in the middle, and pray at the end. Well, Joel, I'm exhausted. Join the club. Joel, I'm weary. Been there, done that, and got the ugly t-shirt. What are you saying, Pastor? All of us are tired. All of us struggle. And that's when you have to turn it over to the one who's been called alongside of you. Notice with me in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You ever been there? I have. I've been there recently. When I didn't know what else to pray, all of my nouns and verbs had disappeared. And then I say, Lord, I'm just going to turn it over to you. And the groanings that are too deep for words, he begins to see deep within us. He acknowledges our pain, our suffering, our tribulation. And so, yes, friend, I, I come before you today as your pastor to say on this last Sunday of the year, the Spirit will help you in your weakness. So you don't have to learn how to articulate everything. Sometimes you don't even know what to ask for. You don't know when to ask for it. And you have no idea the consequence or the result of it. That's why there are moments when you just let the Spirit take over because you don't know how to pray for what you ought, but the Spirit will intercede for us. And probably out of all these points that I'm giving you today, number seven is one of the most important. Let the Spirit help you in your weakness. Look at number eight. How shall we live? Giving to others is the most powerful way to show kindness. Now, I'm not just talking about money. And listen, I've appreciated over the years where God has blessed people financially and they share those financial blessings with me or with someone I love. I've always, always been overwhelmed by those financial gifts. Sometimes it wasn't a check or, 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 or money as such, but it was a trip or, 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 or something had been given just to say, hey, I love you and I appreciate you. I am believing that as we look toward the future, giving to others is the most powerful way to show kindness to people. I, I know that for me, uh, I'm a giver at heart. Uh, I would give you the the shirt off my back, I, I would give you the last dime that I had if you really needed what I had to offer. But just imagine if the whole body of Christ at First Baptist Church Athens began to live this way in 2021. That if there is someone that we know their name, if there's others that are completely anonymous, that we're just willing to give to them. Go back to our Romans 12 passage. Look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, we have to be very careful in this because there are grandstanders. You know what I'm talking about? They contribute and then say, hey, everybody, look at me which is in direct violation of Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, that says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. All of us have been around individuals that when they do something good for somebody, they let everybody know about it. Well, they already have their reward. But I've also seen individuals who love to bless others and nobody knows where it comes from. Those are the kind of individuals that God will continue to bless. That if you keep your hand open and God gives you something and you give it to someone else and you don't blow a trumpet to say, hey, look what I've done, I believe God will continue to bless you. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Look with me in Galatians 6 and 10. The Bible says, So then, as we have opportunity, 
let us do good to everyone. So that means even individuals outside the framework or the structure of our church. Hey, let's do good to everyone. And then Paul says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do you realize that there shouldn't be not one member of First Baptist Church Athens that goes hungry, that is cold during the wintertime, that we make sure that uh, their electric bill is paid for. We, we make sure, and listen, I appreciate our benevolence ministry. I appreciate those who contribute to our benevolence ministry so that we may take care of those who are around us, especially those who are in the context of the local church. But let me remind us all that if God has blessed you and God has encouraged you and God has given to you, don't go around tooting your own horn. Don't go around blowing the trumpet and say, hey, everybody, look at me. Now, please, let me give you a disclaimer. No one's done that. The, the individuals that I am talking about or I'm thinking about right now always give, and their left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. They always do it in an anonymous fashion. I am very blessed by those individuals. Hey, in 2021, how shall we live Bless the persecutor instead of blessing them out. I don't know who this is for. Maybe it's just for me. But it's something that I really took to heart when I was studying this past week. Go back to our text, Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Can I just be as transparent as possible? I have a real issue with this particular one. I am very, very passionate about when I see someone being done wrong and I, I want to come to their aid, I want to come to their deliverance, I want to rescue them. And yet, the Bible asks me in a command, not a suggestion, to bless those who persecute us. And so over the last several months, there's a lot of things said on social media there's a lot of things on the upper political realm and there's disagreements and, and uh, differences of opinions. All of these things that go back and forth. And I wanted to enter into the fray on numerous occasions and the Holy Spirit always pulls me back. And I'm so thankful. Standing here in front of you today, I'm so very thankful. But can I be honest with you? There were moments though, I wanted to let my voice be heard and I wanted to bless somebody out instead of blessing them. Now let me just share this with you, that social media, when it came into its present form a number of years ago, has given a microphone to every crazy out there. In the past, we never heard from them because they didn't have a platform. Well, now they do. And we're going to have this temptation, if you will, to respond to every nutcase out there. You don't have to do that. Bless those that persecute. Do not curse them. And again, I, I know that's very difficult for us because we have something to say. And, and, you know, and what I have to say is important. Is it really? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. So somebody gets on social media and dislikes what you've said or what you've posted. What, what do you feel like you have to do? Well, i got to repay them back. i got to show them how wrong they are. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone, even those that disagree with you. And listen, 
This is so antithetical to how most of us think. We want to respond in kind and as ugly as they were to us, we feel as if we have the right to do the same thing back to them. And friend, that's just not biblical Christianity. That's the flesh. And it will make your flesh feel good for about five minutes. And then if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, there's going to be conviction. Again, Romans 12, look at verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. <laughs> that is so convicting. Because I feel sometimes that if I don't say something, I'm not going to avenge. But the Holy Spirit caused the Apostle Paul to write during a day of Roman rule when Christians were being killed and, and wrapped in animal skins and dipped in tar and, and, and lit on fire and, and hung along the Apian way, he says, but leave it to the wrath of God. Would you be willing in 2021 not to be so angry, not to be so volatile in your spirit, especially if you are a child of God? Hey, how shall we live Honestly discern what your brother or sister is going through. Sometimes it's just all about us. The books that we are writing right now are all about us instead of thinking about others. I'm learning how to do this more and more, especially recently. Look at verses 15 and 16 of Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Listen, I love to party with folks. Hey, they're excited. I'm excited. But what about when it says weep? with those who weep. Maybe we're a little bit hesitant to walk into that crowded room when everybody's broken and they're all emotional because somebody they love has passed from death to life. You and I are, yes, we are called to rejoice and to celebrate with those who are celebrating and rejoicing, but likewise we are called to weep with those who weep. Look at verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own sight. Never be wise in your own sight. And listen, education is wonderful. Academia is powerful. But never let yourself get to the point that you're only wise in your own sight because you've tooted your horn so much, nobody else wants to listen to you. I believe for families, I believe for friendships, I believe even for us who would disagree with one another because of our politic or our religion or whatever it may be, live in harmony with one another. It's difficult to do, isn't it? But I do believe with the authority and power of the Holy Spirit, we can do such things. I want you to pay very close attention to this last one. And this is how I'm going to close out the message today because I believe all of us have opinions. And most of us believe our opinions are correct. But how shall we live? You do not have to agree with everything in order to be at peace. You do not have to agree with everything in order to be at peace. My grandfather and I were on different sides of the political aisle. He was a lifelong Democrat, and as soon as I was able to begin voting in 1984, 
uh, I began to sort of primarily side with the Republican Party. And as the years went by before my grandfather went home to be with Jesus, we, we had some conversations. And we finally agreed that we loved each other so very much that we were not going to allow politics to be what divides us. Just imagine if that was our attitudes today. If we decided, and it doesn't have to be politics, it could be any number of things, that we are still going to live in harmony with one another. And we're going to do it deliberately because I believe this does not happen apart from a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Because you and I are too opinionated. You and I are too educated. We know what we know. We believe what we believe. And if someone is on the opposite side, we just have a difficult time. Why don't they see things like I see them? You don't have to agree with everything in order to be at peace. Look at our passage in Romans 12 again. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. I don't know if it's just the flesh, if it's something that our mother and father Adam and Eve gave to us, but isn't it just like us to repay evil for evil? I, I mentioned this a few moments ago, but if someone does something to me, instead of turning the other's cheek and giving them an opportunity to do it again, I usually bow up at them and say, no way. And I repay evil for evil. I want to encourage you today, friend, don't do that in 2021 because things may get much worse before they ever, ever get better. So let me give you verse 18 and we're going to bring it to a close. Hey, if possible, so far as it depends on you, not worried about everybody else, but as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The same joy and love and mercy and grace you've shown on Christmas Day, after Advent, how shall we live? We live peaceably with all. And I don't have to agree with you in order to do that. You don't have to agree with me in order to do that. But as far as it depends on me, your pastor, I'm going to live peaceably with you. But let me throw being a pastor to the side. Just as a follower of Jesus, as far as it depends on me, I'm going to live peaceably with all people. Now, is it going to be hard at times? Yes. Is it going to be difficult? Absolutely. But is it worth it? Yes. Because when you and I begin to display Christ-like qualities, people are going to go, what's wrong with him? And then over time, they'll go, what's right with him? See, let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works, but they'll glorify our Father in heaven. That's my word to us on the last Sunday of this year. A hard year, a difficult year. But maybe, just maybe, now's the time for change. Now's the time for repentance.